It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto and anywhere across Canada. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM, And then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And you can also listen to Moment of Truth on all of your favorite uh, streaming platforms where you find your podcasts. So please check us out there if you happen to miss one of our previous uh, conversations and interviews. My guest here on Moment of Truth is Thomas Merritt, and he is at Laurentian University. He's a professor uh, of Tri-Council Leader Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry, uh, as I said, at Laurentian University. Now, Thomas, welcome to the show, but I also want to mention that there's an acronym here, and I'm not sure what it stands for, N-S-E-R-C. NSERC, so the Natural Sciences Engineering Research Council. Uh, I do fundamental science, I'm a geneticist, and I drink a lot of coffee. (laughs) And of course, we both have a cup of coffee, as we mentioned just before the interview started. It's, uh, as you're saying, sort of a prerequisite of of doing an interview, because that's in fact what we're talking about. You wrote an article in the conversation and uh, about the biology of coffee, and uh, one of the world's most popular drinks, and so uh, it certainly is. It's it's interesting interesting to me also that it's it's considered an essential or basic food item in Canada that means it's not taxed which i you know i'm surprised to hear that perhaps tea isn't doesn't fall into that same category but in, in any case that's that's the way it goes I, I'm taking notes because I didn't know that, and that is uh, that is super cool. That's that is something that I will be adding to my repertoire. I'll be looking that up when we when we come off the air. Uh, there's many good reasons for that. You know, even the aroma of a great smelling cup of coffee or the beans, they get they just it it can be stimulating on its own right there. It's an interesting point, and and maybe you know. I think everybody knows that, that coffee is stimulating because of caffeine. And, and um, we actually know a fair bit about, you know, the biology of what drives that. Um, but there's also some really interesting psychology behind that as well. And once you get that sort of boost, that caffeine boost, um, you can learn to associate that boost with that that aroma and, and the sense of smell is an incredibly powerful sense. Right. Um, you, you ever you know sort of accidentally come across the smell of your childhood and suddenly you're flashed back true. 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, so that the smell of coffee is a big part of coffee and it's a big part of us learning how we respond to coffee. Hmm. We, we all know that uh, there's lots of coffee places out there that are making excellent cups of coffee these days. We have a multitude of choices, uh, you know, from your basic Colombian kind of uh, coffee bean that makes you uh, just your standard coffee to the, you know, the wonderful lattes and all those wonderful things that we now have, uh, you know, pumpkin spice lattes, all these wonderful things that they come out with that taste wonderful and look wonderful and smell wonderful and, and are very expensive. <laughs> but... Um, but they're enjoyable. That plays a yeah, big role absolutely. in this, doesn't it? The enjoyment of, of that drink. Yeah, I think it does. And, and it, it comes back to, to this idea of, uh, you know, the, the, the stimulant properties of coffee, the, the, they're the social aspects of coffee. You know, we, what, when we have that first cup of coffee in the morning, so I got up this morning and made a pot of coffee. 
Um, and a lot of times that really is to just, you know, get get your day started. And, and I mean, we should be very clear that caffeine is absolutely a drug mm. uh, and it is the most consumed drug on the planet. Um, but it it's more than just that stimulant, isn't it? And there's there are the other aspects of drinking that that cup of coffee. I think that, you know, as we're going through this pandemic, one of the things that, that everybody is struggling with is the little things that we hadn't expected. And, you know, some of the things maybe that we, we had expected, but just the, the social aspects of sharing that cup of coffee. We don't just drink coffee to wake up. We drink coffee because we thoroughly enjoy coffee. Uh, and there are a lot of, of pieces that, that put that puzzle together. Mm. You know, one thing in, in your article that I found interesting that I didn't know was that, uh, as you point out, that, that when Prince uh, Harry and Meghan were considering moving here, that Tim Hortons offered them free coffee for life. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, the funny story behind that for this, this article was that I had been toying with putting together this article on the biology of coffee for almost two years. I had finally gotten a, a version of it to the editors about a month ahead of time, and we'd been going back and forth. And I got a sort of 11th hour email saying, okay, Tim Hortons has just tweeted that they're giving free coffee for life. We need your article ready. And so we, we went from something that had started as a two-year project to you know a month-long project to we got it turned around in about 12 hours. <laughs> uh, so you know these kind of things happen. But it, it does speak to you know just the, the role that coffee has in our society. Um, and Tim Hortons wasn't serious. It was a joke, but it was a joke that everybody got because right. you know, it's such a part of, of what we do. Right. And imagine when that article got turned around in the 12-hour uh, time frame, the first thing you did was to put on a pot of coffee, right? I probably did. I almost certainly had a cup of coffee in my hand uh, as we looked to see, you know, how the response was going to be to that article. Right. Now, the other thing I I wanted to go back to when I said about coffee being uh, an essential item and non-taxable, that doesn't, of course, that refers to buying it whole, whole, you know, when you're buying the beans or something from your your store. It doesn't mean that when you go to buy your coffee at at the, uh, your favorite coffee beverage area, that it's non-taxable at that level, because that's, that's another thing. It's like uh, uh, buying groceries that are, you know, in bulk as opposed to something that you buy from just the pastry, for instance, you know. Um, sure, sure. Is that, so I don't know all the details. So, so you know, please don't ex- don't say that. Hey, I said so. <laughs> but anyway, I'll be quoting you on that. That's right. <laughs> there's, there's another funny uh, sort of Tim Hortons, not sort of a funny Tim Hortons aspect to this. So I gave a talk uh, last fall to the Coffee Association of Canada uh, as part of their annual general meeting, and the the gentleman who introduced me is the head of coffee uh, for uh, for Tim Hortons. Mm. And it was an interesting experience to you know talk to this guy, chatted with him a little bit beforehand, a little bit afterwards. And he spent you know something like thirty five years in in the coffee industry. Um, there are a lot of people that have put a lot of their career, a lot of their life into this this amazing beverage. Mm. Uh, and it, it it speaks to its role in society that we have things like Tim Hortons, you know, one of the largest corporations in Canada. Right. Uh, that's driven by coffee. And one of the interesting things that he said in our conversation was that Tim Hortons is really reacting to this pandemic. And, you know, people are not going in and sitting down. I mean, at the moment in, in Ontario, you can't. Um, right. But even when, when you could, the numbers were, were down, but their retail numbers were up. Mm. And so there have been interesting shifts. I mean, I know that our lo- local coffee shops, we've got a local coffee roaster here that I adore. Um, and, their traffic to the store is, I think, down, but their traffic to people buying coffee online is, is up. Um, and people have shifted how we're drinking coffee. We're drinking it at home, but we're often drinking really good coffee at yeah. home. 
Uh, and I, I had a brief conversation with a guy in Montreal that sells high-end uh, home coffee stuff. Ah. And, you know, equipment. And yeah. he's, he can't keep things on the shelf because I was, everybody wants a good espresso maker. I was just going to say there's probably a spinoff of that from exactly what you were just saying. Yeah. So it is interesting and it will be interesting to see how this uh, affects things as we come out of COVID and move into uh, whatever that new normal is that we're going to yeah. be finding uh, because of exactly the kind of things that you have just pointed out. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, you know, now you also pointed out about the ingredients. Of coffee, caffeine sure. being being that that drug that's that is 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 in the the beverage itself. What do we know about uh, the percentage uh, of coffee in terms of the way coffee is, and maybe uh, you know something about the way coffee is brewed or or the beans that are baked? Because when they're cooked, I understand um, the stronger the bean is cooked, uh, making it more of the express espresso type of coffee bean. There is less caffeine in it than there is to say the general. Uh, you know, it's a stronger tasting coffee, but there's less caffeine in it. Yeah, so there are an almost unlimited number of layers to the coffee story. So, um, you know, coffee grows as a cherry. Uh, You you strip that away, you get this bean. The bean um, has sort of a green color to it when it's dried. That green coffee is roasted, uh, and then the bean that you see is ground, and that's made into coffee. Mm -hmm. So, each of those steps influences how much caffeine is present. So um, most of the coffee that's, that's, that we consume in North America is called Arabica. Um, there's another species called Robusta, um, and it's more common in, in other places. But in espresso, uh, there tends to be a little bit of the Robusta bean and an espresso mix. So you, mm. you'll blend different kind of beans. Mm. And Robusta has more coffee, uh, sorry, more caffeine than Arabica. Um, so Arabica has something like Oh, one and a half percent caffeine in a bean and, and Robusta is more like two, two and a half to, to three. Mm. So different types of coffee. And, th- and this is a Robusta versus Arabica is actually two different species. Um, different types have different amounts of caffeine, um, different strains. And so I, I really like a Tanzanian pea berry, right? Just mostly because it's an awesome name. Mm. <laughs> um, and, but it has a different amount of, of caffeine than a coffee that's grown in Colombia or Brazil. Uh, and so different locations have different amounts of, of caffeine. And then what you point out is when you roast that green bean, that roasting retains or loses different percentages of the caffeine. And so typically uh, an espresso roast, which is really dark roast, has lower caffeine than that same bean that, that's uh, done with a medium roast, like a French roast mm. or a lighter roast. Mm. And so the roasting absolutely, it, it massively changes the, the flavor. You can take the same bean and roast it different amounts, you get a very different cup of coffee, but you also get different amounts of caffeine. And then finally, how you make the coffee uh, determines how much caffeine makes it into that the beverage that you're going to consume. Hmm. And so I get up in the morning, I have a pour over, which is a really simple way to make a coffee. I've got a, a funnel with a, a paper filter in it. I put a loose ground or a coarse ground coffee in that, and I steep that over the course of a few minutes uh, to make a pot of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you know, we said when we started this conversation, I just pulled myself an espresso. Mm-hmm. Um, that espresso is is you know what maybe a 
fifth the volume of the pot of coffee that that I made. Right. Um, but it's really, really, really concentrated. Yes. Uh, and so you, you brew that coffee at, at a higher pressure. And so you get different amounts of caffeine in that liquid depending right. on how you make the coffee, depending yes. on how you roast the coffee. Right. So there are lots of layers. Yes. Now, I just thought of this as you were talking, and that is that the roasting process that either affects the caffeine, does the does the caffeine level affect the flavor of the coffee? Yeah, that's an awesome question. It absolutely does. Um, and one of, the things, one of the things I've actually been talking about with my local roaster is if we can go in, because because I work in a chemistry department, because I'm a scientist, um, could we start looking at the amount of caffeine that, that's in, uh, in the coffee? Mm-hmm. And you, you absolutely can. Um, caffeine does influence the flavor. It's probably not the, the primary driver of flavor. Um, and one of the things that this project I'm working on at the moment is trying to understand decaf coffee. Ah, yes. And so, you know, fundamentally, if, if the flavor of coffee depended on caffeine, then decaf coffee wouldn't taste like coffee. Um, and, you know, there, there are arguments as to whether decaf coffee really does taste like coffee, but, but fundamentally, <laughs> it, it, it absolutely does. Um, and there, there are different ways to make decafs, and there are some surprisingly good decafs out there. Uh, yeah. When my wife was pregnant, we sort of explored the world of decaf coffee and, and we're pleasantly surprised. And, and honestly, it's not the best cup of coffee you've ever had. No. Nope. But there are some cups of coffee. They're like, you know what? That, that's not a bad cup of coffee. It's true. And, and you know, as soon as I said, does it affect the, the flavor? Uh, well, yes, it does. Because when you, if you've had a decaf cup of coffee, you know that it tastes different. So uh, the caffeine obviously does affect it. Yeah, you know what? It's not quite that simple. Oh, okay. So you get the caffeine out of the coffee. Yeah. You have to modify the coffee. And it's ah. that modification that changes the flavor. Ah. And so in, in the simplest world, you take a green coffee bean, you soak it in water, and then you run it through something that, that will extract out that caffeine. Mm. Uh, so there's a process called Swiss water yeah. decaf. Yes, I was right? going to mention that. Yeah. It, 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 that makes a respectable cup of coffee. Um, and it uses water to extract out the, the caffeine and then it puts back in or tries to keep in the rest of the flavor in that bean. But it's that processing that really changes the flavor of the coffee, not the lack of caffeine. Huh. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, right. Now, I mean, now, it's actually super cool. No, it is. It, it is a fascinating subject uh, and one that is extremely popular because of how popular coffee is in the, you know, on the planet. Now, the other thing I thought about, you, you were talking about the different ways coffee is is made, it's uh, is roasted, etc. I also heard something about, because your article talks about this, the benefits of coffee as well. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the antioxidants, those kind of things that are present in uh, in coffee. Filtration. There's just something new that came out around filtered coffee. That yeah. Was- so, you know, just to, to, to take half a step back, okay. we, we often think of caffeine in, in coffee, and that's the stimulant. Um, but there are a lot of other things in coffee, and, and those other molecules are, are a lot of the things that give the taste to coffee. Uh, but they also have, it looks like, a uh, larger scale impact on the body. So they, they really drive a lot of the biology behind drinking coffee. And so one of the classes of molecules are, are antioxidants. And antioxidants are a type of molecule that sort of fights uh, stress in your body. 
and, and our body actually produces antioxidants naturally. Um, but there are a lot of plants that produce antioxidants and, and coffee does as well. And so there are some really interesting studies that have shown positive health impacts to drinking coffee. So there are lower rates of some, of some cancers, Parkinson's disease, uh, certain forms of diabetes. Um, so higher coffee consumption seems to be associated with lower rates of these diseases. And, and we're struggling to figure out why, but it looks like it's these antioxidants. One of the really interesting things about those molecules is there are more or less of them in the coffee, depending on how you prepare the coffee. And so there's some really interesting studies that showed is something as simple as changing the kind of paper in a coffee filter can potentially impact the health effects of those coffees. Um, and I mean, the, the studies are, are early days and, and it, it's a difficult thing to pen down just because how incredibly complicated health is. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe that's what this speaks to is just how incredibly complicated health is that something as simple as changing the filter in your coffee maker uh, can change the health impact of that drink. Wow. The, the, yeah. the paper. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know I've seen the, the sort of uh, brown manila looking uh, mm -hmm. natural uh, paper uh, versus what? Just a, you know, a regular sort of white kind of generic kind of filter you can buy off the shelf that uh, may not be as good or, or filters out more of the, the, the things that are better benefits. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of the question. So, I mean, there are a couple of ways. And one of the, so it's, it can be paper filter. It can be the type of paper that's in the filter. Mm. Um, they're also steel filters. Yeah, they're still, yeah. They're, yeah, they're not paper themselves. Right. And so the, the study was trying to pinpoint whether, you know, whether they could determine what was driving them. Was it a different kind of paper? Was it paper versus not paper? And the, the biggest effects were paper versus not paper, but even different papers. And, and you know, like, the, the filter that I used this morning uh, is an unbleached filter. Right. And I use that not because I think it changes the, the flavor, but that it's, it's a healthier for the environment way to make that filter. Right. So there are right. fewer bleaches involved in that, that process. Yes. yes. And, and that in itself speaks to a lot of the complications around coffee that, you know, when we're making a decision as to what coffee we're going to consume, um, we're, we're really part of a decision that goes from a, a small farmer uh, very far away through to the importers to, in my case, anyway, local roasters. Um, you know, there are a lot of, of uh, there's a lot of complexity to that story of where that coffee comes from. And even something as simple as making that decision, what coffee filter are you going to use? Is it because it's the taste of the coffee, because of the health benefits of the coffee? Is it because of the environmental impact of how that filter is made? Yeah, fascinating stuff. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can also listen to Moment of Truth on your favorite podcast uh, streaming sites as well. My guest is Thomas Merritt. He is a PhD from Laurentian University, professor uh, of the Tri-Council Leader Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry, as I say, at uh, Laurentian University in Sudbury, Ontario. It's a pleasure to have him with us here on the show as we talk about coffee. And uh, we've been talking about an article that he wrote in the conversation, uh, and it is all about the, uh, well, somewhat about the benefits, but biology of coffee, the biology of coffee. Uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily assume the word biology with coffee. Does that make sense? 
Sure. I, but I think that, you know, part of it comes from we just we often don't think about the science in our everyday life. Mm. Um, and so, as you mentioned, I'm a professor. I actually talk about science for a living and this is what I do. I, mm-hmm. I teach genetics. Uh, but a lot of what I do is talk to the community uh, about the value of science, the value of, of basic research. Um, and what we do in the lab is we actually work with fruit flies to study fundamental metabolism and the genetics of metabolism. But you can imagine that that's not necessarily the most engaging thing to talk about. <laughs> and so, honestly, if I tell people that I work on fruit flies, uh, all they want to do is talk to me. How do they get fruit flies out of their kitchen? <laughs> uh, but if if I tell you that I can, you know, actually talk to the, the biology of how your your body responds to that cup of coffee in the morning, mm. um, that's super engaging. And so I actually wrote the article in part because I was interested in the biology, but also because I had a feeling that it was a really great way to talk to people about their own biology and their mm. own science mm. and sort of drive home that role of science in our world. Right. Now, you've used uh, mice and rats uh, in your experiments with, uh, with coffee and caffeine. Uh, what were some of the more uh, interesting things that you found from those studies? Yeah, and, and just to be clear, so I, I actually didn't do those experiments. Okay. So in the article, I write about what we know in, in science, yep. um, but, but I don't work with, with mice and rats. Okay. Um, and actually, we have just started doing caffeine stuff with, with flies. So okay. all of the science that I'm talking about there, I'm talking about work that's been done in, in other labs. Um, and there is some really interesting work. I mean, there's some, some amazing work on the role of uh, caffeine and, and exercise. And some right. of the, the most interesting studies have, have been done using using athletes, mm-hmm. uh, using human athletes. But it, it, you run into a lot of issues. I mean, there are ethical issues on experimenting with people, obviously. Yeah. Um, but there are also just complexity issues. People are really complicated. Right. And one of the things that that I mean, even you and I could could verify experimentally is that we each of us respond slightly differently to that cup of coffee. Mm. And so, if we want to understand the biology of coffee. Uh, and I work with an individual or a couple of individuals. Um, what we'll find out quite a bit about is the biology of that individual, mm. but not really broad-based conclusions. And so this is why we use animal models in the first place. And so there's been some really interesting work in the biology of caffeine and the biology of coffee uh, using animal models. And honestly, I mean, just so, you know, like a, a funny story of animal models, anecdotally, Everybody will tell you that coffee makes you poop, right? right. So the lowest yes, common sure. denominator, this sure. is like, why do we have coffee? It wakes me up in the morning right. and drives me to the bathroom. Right. right. Well, it ends up that when we have done, and we, I mean, broadly, so I, I haven't actually done the experiments. Okay. Um, that's literally only true with about a third of the people in the, mm. in the world. Right. And so it, it is true. Caffeine does affect people, some people in this way, um, but not nearly as many people as, as you think. And one of the ways that we've actually studied this is using animal systems. And so we have used, we broadly in science, uh, have used the rat model to look at why caffeine promotes defecation. Mm. Uh, and it, it sort of follows the, the, the same kind of patterns that we see in humans. That it's not true of, of every rat, but right. it's true of some rats. And one of the things that's really interesting that's come out of the rat studies is that it may not, in fact, be the caffeine. Uh, And we see this with people as well. And so if you don't tell somebody that the coffee isn't caffeinated or if you don't tell them it's decaffeinated (laughs) coffee, 
right? So you, you see where I'm going. You're, so, you're feeding them a placebo. <laughs> and you, you are. Right. And it really, you know, it speaks to the psychology of, right. of us, um, but it, it also speaks a bit to the biology. And, and there's some, some interesting results that came out of exercise physiology as well mm. that, that sort of mirror these same results that caffeine is a one of the few drug stimulants that's actually legal in most athletics mm. Mm. and so it, it is a legal supplement um, and so there have been some really interesting studies to see if not only do athletes think it works but does does caffeine actually perf- improve athletic mm. performance right whether it's endurance athletics or lifting athletics that's it, been looked at in a number of different ways um, and what they found pretty unequivocally is that caffeine really does improve some kinds, not all kinds, but some kinds of athletic performance. Mm. But what they found was that the, the results were most pronounced if the athletes thought they were going to see a positive effect. Hmm. And so it, it, there was a caffeine effect. It's right. changing the biology that's involved with that exercise. But there's also a psychological effect. And so if the athletes thought that caffeine was going to make them perform better, more often that caffeine made them perform better. And I think that the, you asked you know, broadly about animal models. This is one of the things that we find when we're looking at, at things like individual cells, when we look at animals, whether it's flies or rats or mice, we can take a step back away from that psychology because we know that there's going to be an effect. We know that most people think that coffee makes them poop, even though, in fact, most people don't have that biology. Right. And the other thing, of course, is is a coffee uh, a cancer-fighting uh, remedy uh, to some degree? Yeah. And so let me, the answer is absolutely. And also, it will absolutely not cure cancer. No. So we need to be very careful about those two different things. Yes. And so it, it's surprising, but it's been, it been replicated. It's been shown over and over again. There is a correlation between higher coffee consumption and lower rates of some cancers. Mm. And so something about consuming that coffee is lowering cancer rates, at least at, you know, at a large sort of population scale. Um, and so there are health benefits to moderate consumption of coffee. And there, there really do seem to be very solid health benefits to moderate coffee consumption. Mm. But we don't we want to be very clear that we're not confusing that with saying, OK, if you have cancer, fighting coffee is a way to combat that. Right. No, absolutely. Sure. Not true. Yes. Yes. Understood. Uh, the one thing I cannot get out of my head now, since you've mentioned it, are the fruit flies. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going trying to I mean there's there's a whole science right there you're you're dealing with a very tiny uh, fruit fly trying to get the specifics of working out how much uh, to feed a fruit fly in yeah. order to see the results that that's got to be something on its own right there it, it is and it there are challenges um, they are really small and they each fly weighs about a thousandth of a gram Um, But one of the reasons that we work with flies is when you want to draw broad conclusions, you don't work with an individual. You work with many individuals. Mm. And oftentimes, the more individuals you can work with, the better you can make these broad conclusions. If I was working with with humans in in a people-driven lab, um, we might have dozens or hundreds of subjects in in a study. The average study in my lab has 10,000 flies in it. And the, the power behind that is phenomenal. Okay, so I, the next question I have to ask you then about fruit flies is their, their, um, 
how long they live because (laughs) (laughs) how long do you have to work on this? Yeah. So that's an interesting point. So it it depends on, on, you know, if we're working on them, they don't work, they don't live terribly long because we squash them and we put them in a spectrophotometer. Um, And and honestly, it's one of the reasons I work on flies, because if you're going to work with 10,000 individuals, it's, it it just, it's an easier time to squash 10,000 flies than to, you know, put a bunch of bun, a bun to do the same thing with rabbits and mice. Um, but it, so fruit flies live about two weeks. Okay. I, and so my, my graduate students' heads all just exploded as I said that. Mm. We get a new generation of flies about every two weeks. Mm. Uh, the average fly lives about 60 days, somewhere between 30 and 60 days. Mm. Um, but one of the reasons we study them is because of these really short life cycles. Right. And so we can get new flies in a short period of time. Yes. Um, we have a really interesting study where we're looking at the effects of working deep underground. Um, so Sudbury is home for the, um, the uh, Neutrino Observatory, hmm. uh, a snow lab. And we're using this as an underground lab to understand what happens to physiology when you go deep underground and, right. and the atmospheric pressure goes up. Right. And we can bring down thousands of flies at a time to do these experiments. Um, whereas if we were working with mice or something larger, uh, you just couldn't have that kind of sample size. And mm. what we're finding in, in this case and in many cases is that the biology is really driven by very small and subtle changes. And you have to be working with thousands of individuals to see that. Hmm. You know, taking this back into the coffee situation, mm-hmm. um, when we look at the science of the biology behind coffee, a lot of what we're looking at are driven by really subtle effects. And, and your, your point about the, the, the filters, the difference in effect of different filters is relatively small. And so to see that kind of effect, right. you have to be working on relatively large sample sizes. Right. And those sample sizes are one of the reasons that we work in models like rats and mice and flies. Fascinating stuff. Thomas, it's been a pleasure speaking with you about the biology of coffee and your article that uh, is printed in the conversation. And we want to thank you for joining us and also for uh, making me go and grab a cup of coffee before we had this interview. It was nice uh, having the cup of coffee to have the conversation with you and really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share this uh, really insightful uh, uh, information into the world of coffee. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. All right. Take care. Take care. Right. Bye-bye. That's the voice of Thomas Merritt. Uh, he's a Ph.D. at Laurentian University, professor of the Tri-Council Leader Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry in Sudbury, Ontario, as he mentioned, uh, at Laurentian University. A pleasure talking to him about the biology of coffee and his article in The Conversation. And, uh, yeah. Oh, you can't. What do you say about talking about coffee? It's great to talk about coffee. It's a wonderful beverage if you enjoy it, and I certainly do. And it's been a pleasure having you with us uh, here on the show. I hope you had a cup of coffee while you were listening to this. And uh, don't go away because we're going to be right back here with more right here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. Hey, welcome back to Moment of Truth here on Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, as well as anywhere across the country on the Radio Player Canada app and also on your favorite streaming platforms. I'm your host, David Moses, and my next guest knows something about 
entertainment and this in the cinema and perhaps also in the municipal pol- uh, political scene. Jeff Knoll is and has been ser- serving the Oakville area as Ward 5 uh, councillor when he was first elected in 2000. He was uh, re-elected in subsequent elections in 2002, 2006, 10, 14 and 18. And he's also the founder and chief executive officer of film.ca and uh, that's in Oakville. I'm very familiar with that cinema. I've been going there for many years. In fact, I know it so well. I knew it before it was it was known as Encore. And if I'm not mistaken, years ago, it, it might have been a Cineplex area, but I'm not sure. Maybe Jeff can tell us that. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. And, you know, Jeff, I, I've, of course, uh, your face is familiar to me because we, I think we've run into one another at the occasional, uh, you know, event in the Oakville area. But also, I, I always see you on the screen at the cinema because I, I guess that's one of the beautiful things about it being an independent theater is that yes. you can bring that, that independent content to the cinema. And uh, you put yourself out there and you always have your, your uh, staff getting involved with some some of the things that you do just before the films start and it's always it's always been wonderful to see that that inclusion that you guys bring to the cinema but of course we're in COVID-19 and I know that uh, I've been receiving emails from film.ca and uh, tells me all about what's going on you guys have uh, several things going on you've been trying to raise raise uh, do some fundraising for the cinema and and I guess I wanted to get your perspective Exactly as that, an entrepreneur as a, as a as an, an independent cinema, because you are one of many across the country, and I'm sure that you can speak to the the many challenges that you guys have been facing. You know, just recently we had yet another lockdown, and I'm sure that you guys are constantly going back to the drawing board, saying, "Okay, so what do we do now? How do we deal with this?" So, if you don't mind, Jeff. Um, if you can give us maybe a little bit of a history uh, since your involvement with uh, film.ca and then sure. bring us up to up to date. What was it like prior to to what was going on at, at the uh, film.ca prior to COVID? Well, I'll give you uh, I'll give you the um, the, uh, the the, the Coles Notes history. Sure. Of Jeff Noel and film.ca. <laughs> and uh, and hopefully that will help uh, fill in some of the pieces to understand a little bit about the culture here and, and you know, my my uh, uh, practices as an entrepreneur. Sure. So I started, I started in this business actually um, uh, as a uh, uh, almost preteen. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was a preteen. I, I had got the brilliant idea that I would show um, 16 millimeter movies at a local community center in Windsor um, to the kids in the neighborhood. And I think I charged them a quarter a piece and we popped popcorn on this little bubble popcorn popper, and I borrowed the, uh, the orange pop machine from McDonald's that they used to loan out uh, to community events. And so once a month on Saturdays, I would do this. And so I, I had got bitten by the, the movie bug early. Um, it, it's all my mother's fault. And uh, you used to take me to the movies, and we enjoyed them together. It was the one thing that she and I, uh, you know, she was a very busy person, and, you know, I was a you know young kid and student and always moving a million miles an hour. It was the one thing that, we would share together. So it was, uh, for me, the movies, um, you know, were very, a very comforting thing, um, and particularly going to the movies. So I had an early introduction. Um, I started out my business, so to speak, uh, pre-encore, um, you know, in a local community center. And then um, I had started hanging around uh, an actual movie theater, the Center Theater in Windsor, which was this uh, beautiful old single screen theater, the balcony in Windsor mm. on, the, on the east end. 
Um, and I started hanging around in this theater and sort of became the mascot probably when I was 11 or 12. Um, and then when I was 13, I was still hanging out. Um, I, you know, I bike over there on a Friday and, you know, show up around, you know, five o'clock when they were staff were arriving and, and, you know, leave when my curfew or sometimes a little bit after. Um, and eventually what happened was is that I started uh, becoming you know part of the team, even though I was just a kid and unpaid. And mm. one day the manager said to me, you know what, uh, since you're here all the time, I may as well just I may as well just hire you. He said, you know, and, and I think he fudged my, my age by one year. You know, he, he's long since passed. So uh, the uh, laws of, uh, of uh, you know, are, are no longer uh, relevant in this case. But the, the uh, I started working at this single screen theater as a 13 year old and um, started to, uh, during my breaks, hung out in the projection booth with the, uh, the uh, union projections that was there and got to learn how the, uh, those that worked. And, wow. and I was just bitten by the bug and I loved it. I, yeah. I loved everything about it. I loved the smell of popcorn and the, you know, and the, the, the hush of the audience before the movie started. And, um, the one thing I always make my, my spine tingle is Oh Canada playing at the beginning of every show back yeah. in the day. when that was, <laughs> that was actually the law. Wow. Um, uh, and, and, and I, I never really left the business. I, I also, you know, when I went to school, uh, for film and television and political science, yeah. um, you know, I, I, you know, maintained an interest in it and, you know, continue to work at theater, whether part-time, full-time. And um, it's, it's just been a, it's been a life passion. Line. I did leave it for a while. Uh, I, I started my professional political career, you know, working for members of parliament and working at Queens Park and cabinet ministers and doing all those sorts of things. But I always, you know, it was always in the back of my mind and periodically I'd run up to Newmarket, for example. I knew the lady that owned the cinemas up there and uh, she would let me run the show for the night kind of thing just because I really, really enjoyed it. It was something, something in my DNA, I guess. And then it, uh, it, it happened again in, in 1998. Uh, I'd taken uh, uh, my kids, uh, at which time we had uh, four of the five were bored at that point and and uh, two of their friends came with us, and we went to go see Flubber. We were living in Etobicoke at the time. We went to go see Flubber, the one with Robin Williams, at the brand-new Silver City in, in uh, Mississauga, right mm. at the border there. Uh, it's gone now. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I thought the theater was cool, but I was blown away by the cost. Um, I hadn't really taken an entire horde of kids to a brand-new theater mm. before, and uh, in, in 1988 dollars, I was $145 poor, and I was right. like, I spent the entire movie seething about this, and <laughs> and I just said to myself, you know what? There's got to be a better way. Families and you know should be able to go to the movies and enjoy a movie without having to take out a mortgage to cover it. Mm. Um, and so that's where the idea of Encore started. Um, and we, I had been driving by this closed twin screen theater in Oakville for, uh, you know, a, a couple of years now, because I've been working for the local member of provincial parliament. And um, so I contacted the owner and said, I'd like to reopen that theater. And he said, Hey, it's been closed for, you know, whatever, 10 years, mm. go, go for it. Mm. So we opened a twin screen next door and um, you know, that was the birth of Encore. That was back in uh, August 30th, uh, 1998. Mm. We opened right. uh, the doors and, uh, uh, you know, since that time, we, we, you know, we have continued, um, we, we grew up to three theaters and yep. then I contracted back down to one during the digital, uh, conversion right. crisis, right. we called it. And, um, and now we focus on our, our theater here in Oakville and, uh, uh, you're right. It used to be a Cineplex. Uh, it was a Cineplex that opened in 88 and it closed in 2000, uh, it was a church for a couple of years and then we took it over in 2005. So. 
Uh, we've been here and enjoying ourselves and entertaining Oakville audiences, either as Encore Cinemas or Film.ca, since uh, December 30th, night, or 2005. And um, you know, we cannot wait for the day when we can uh, fire up the projectors and uh, see an audience down there again, enjoying, laughing, jumping out of their seats or whatever the the type of movie it is uh, yeah. uh, once again. Yeah, well, thanks for that, Jeff. You know, uh, you mentioned the changing over to the digital platforms, and I remember yeah. that uh, when, when you guys did that. And then, of course, it was, I mean, that's a cost. And, and that wasn't oh, that long ago, sure. right? Yeah, it was, uh, it was 2013, 2014. So, yeah. uh, it, and it was a crisis. The entire, yeah. you mentioned earlier, there's a number of independent theaters across the country. And I just want to correct you politely. There's not actually. There's nope. very few independent theaters. We've we're pretty much a dying breed, and and the um, the death knell uh, to the independent cinema world. I won't call it death knell because we still are out there. But the, the, one of the biggest challenges we ever faced was this digital cinema um, uh, change because it happened so rapidly, hmm. and it was driven by the big chains. I mean. The, we, we were given a heads up by the studios that we're going to be moving over a certain period of time. But then as the chains finished their conversion process, the, the, the time frame kept moving up. And, you know, we had one studio, and I won't name names, but one studio sent us a note and said, you know, you, we've just distributed our last film on film. Everything hereafter will be on digital. Hmm. Most of us were not ready. We had right. one projector at that point, And so we were able to muddle along hmm. uh, one digital projector. But, uh, at the time, it was about 100 to 120 grand per screen to convert. Mm. And a five-screen theater, you just have to do the math. That's sure. a lot of money for a small <laughs> business to come up with. Yeah. And so a lot of theaters, just they, they ended up folding as a result of this. We, fortunately, were able to go to our community and, and say, this is the reality of the thing. You know, we, right. cannot, we cannot survive unless we get your support. And uh, uh, I was, it was a point when... <clears throat> There was a point when, uh, and that's not me getting choked up, although I do get emotional about this, but <laughs> that, was, that was a point when uh, I had decided that, you know what, I just, uh, I can't keep this going any longer. I, you know, it's a combination of, of having to, uh, uh, you know, cope with, a, um, you know, a, a roller coaster industry mm. um, it, with all the, you know, the, the, the extraordinarily com- extraordinary competition from the chain theaters and now this digital conversion right. uh, issue, we just can't do it. So I, I literally said, you know, hey, community, uh, we've had a really good run. We've really enjoyed entertaining you. You know, we're probably going to uh, be closing our doors next to the well. You know, if there's any, and we, we, I likened it to the, we call it, it's a wonderful life campaign because we, and I, I preface the letter by talking about George Bailey being on the bridge and mm. contemplating life. <laughs> and I, you know, and I, so I, I said, if there are any, uh, uh, Sam Wainwright out in the community, and Sam Wainwright was the character that saved yeah. the day at the end of uh, right. Wonderful Life. Right. I said, this needs to be no, because we sure need one right now. And sure enough, um, I, I think I sent that note out to our mailing list at about uh, 8 o'clock at night, and uh, about an hour later, my phone started going ping, 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 <laughs> and it was all these people that had just decided that, you know, even if they couldn't be Sam Wainwright, they wanted to be one of those people throwing money in the basket yeah. and killed at the end of the movie. And uh, within 24 hours, we'd raised $50,000, um, uh, what, we, what we call microloans, mm. uh, from members of the community, which we paid back. And uh, we had a number of people audition to be Sam Wainwright. And we were <laughs> able to, uh, uh, we, we ended up with a consortium of investors that came in 
and uh, shored us up with the uh, funds we needed to uh, uh, to put the equipment in. It was uh, it was literally it was literally a story like out of Hollywood. Yeah, and it demonstrated to us the importance of um, this business, this institution, in our community, um, and the trust that we have in the community. Um, and uh, you know, it was it was it was literally this this most amazing. Uh, experience to go through it, it reaffirmed my my love of my community, but also my uh, my dedication to this business and and why um, movie theaters, um, uh, especially independent ones, are really important to communities. I think you're right, and I think that people have a connection to it that, uh, you know, I certainly feel attached to film.ca, uh, you know, as, as a local cinema. I love supporting it. Uh, in addition to the, the incredible popcorn that you guys serve, it's, it's the best. best. <laughs> it's the best. best. It is. It absolutely is. No question about it. I don't know what you guys are putting in it, but it certainly is good. Um, popcorn with love. <laughs> now, the other thing, you know, going back to the, the Sam Wainwright story that you just mentioned I, I know that you did get other investors because I uh, my daughter and uh, one of those investors and I'm sorry I don't remember his name uh, our daughters went and took swimming lessons together so I, I remember uh, yeah. that so that's a wonderful story and thanks for sharing that and and thanks for also bringing up up to date about that whole switch over that you had to go through into the digital form yeah. so you know so again it, it showed that there is support and that the community, like you said, the community gets behind these things. They are important. And, and you know, that's the other wonderful thing that you guys uh, did and allowed us to do is, is as, uh, as, as guests and, and patrons of the theater is to go uh, at a, a less uh, a costly uh, night out. Uh, and still see these these great films that are out there and and have our families uh, have a night out with our family and enjoy ourselves. That, that's the goal. You know, uh, that's that's what we do. A big movie, small prices is our motto. Um, and our motto used to be going to the movies without going broke. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> now, now uh, going back, you said that there isn't that many uh, uh, independent cinemas out there anymore. And uh, I'm just wondering, how does that... Uh, if you can help me with this, and I don't know if you know, but there's uh, also drive-ins. Are, are they considered yes. independent cinemas? Well, some of them are, and okay. some are, you know, owned by, uh, you know, smaller chains. Like the okay. one in town um, is owned by a wonderful family, the Allen family. Mm. In most smaller communities are independently owned, and that was always kind of the way it was. Yeah. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also listen on your favorite uh, streaming platforms. My guest is Jeff Knoll. Uh, he is an entrepreneur in Oakville. Uh, he's one of the only Owners of uh, the film.ca. Now you can check them out online. Uh, we are talking to Jeff, and I wanted to talk with Jeff because he has an interesting background. He, he studied political science, but he also studied film and uh, communications uh, at Western um, and uh, sorry in Windsor. Sorry in Windsor, and um, 
and so I've been a, a patron of film.ca for a while. I get emails from them and I know the situation that this, that the cinema has been going through as an independent cinema through COVID. And so I wanted to get Jeff on to talk about some of those challenges because it has been a continuing changing challenge. You, you know, a cinema and uh, film.ca being a, an independent cinema, the whole, the whole name of the game is to get people in the seats and, um, and they haven't been able to do that. And I know, uh, Jeff, why don't you take us back and tell us, you know, since COVID hit, uh, what, what have you guys been trying to do to, to keep afloat and, 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 you know, and what you've done to sort of move with the ongoing challenges that have been coming forward from COVID-19? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, we, we started feeling, first of all, the pain of COVID um, uh, actually in February before most people did, because the rumors started, of course, spreading across the, the globe about this this uh, strange new virus that was uh, affecting folks. And But, you know, we're sort of sitting here, um, you know, uh, you know, trying to figure out how we can take advantage of, you know, our, our facility and, you know, our expertise in the film world. Yeah. Um, and, and um, you know, what can we do to create some, some, some pivots so that, you know, we can generate our own revenue and not necessarily be as reliant on, uh, you know, corporate welfare, so to speak, right. uh, during this process, and also potentially pay down some of that debt, which just goes up every month. Sure. And so we're, you know, we've been looking at different opportunities to, to do that. Um, and a couple of things that presented themselves, um, including, uh, um, uh, uh, the launching of a, a new video on demand site that we're working on right now called Zuzu, mm-hmm. Zuzu video on demand, which will be a, an online streaming portal, a sort of a very small, um, you know, replica of a Netflix or Crave uh, with some unique content. So we're, we're building that out right now. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll be ready to launch that soon. And then uh, one of the initiatives that you and I talked about is, is uh, uh, I also dabble in film production. <laughs> Um, and, yes. uh, because that is, that's also a love of mine. And I, you know, I, with my schedule, I can't do it on a full-time basis, but I do it on a, a periodic basis. I usually do one production year. This year we, uh, this year we already produced, or I shouldn't say this year in 2020, we produced a feature film called one pandemic day, right. um, which was all about one day in the pandemic. And it's, uh, you know, it, it was released with some critical uh, acclaim and it's, uh, it's funny and sad and eye opening all at the same time. But, we had this uh, pilot for a TV series yes. I created back in 2017 called Coming, Dis- sorry, um, yeah. Coming Distractions. Yes. It was my own show. And it was this quirky workplace comedy about working in a movie theater. And uh, um, it's, it's, I would say, loosely based on film.ca, but that would be uh, an understatement. <laughs> it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of about film.ca in kind of a strange, funny way with all, obviously, with, you know, with, real, with real actors instead of those of us who think yes. we're actors, yes. um, portraying the various roles. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, the, the, story, the stories are all derived from actual things that have happened in my career. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and, brought together in this really uh, fun, um, you know, half hour package sitcom concept. So we produced this um, as a pilot and we've been trying to sell it ever since. And we just, we haven't had a lot of luck. It's, you know, being in, being K in film production is often disadvantaged. It's not often about what you can do or, or, you know, what you know, it's often about who you know. Mm. And that's something I've, I've know I've always known about the film industry, about the production side, but uh you know, we're, I'm a tenacious, you know, I call myself an entertainment entrepreneur. 
Um, so we did this and we keep trying to sell it. And, uh, but we came up with the idea that this may be a way, this might be a time to, to focus on trying to do that um, and use some of the, the various uh, financial incentives available from the various government levels to help businesses pivot and, and cope. So we're at this moment in the midst of trying to leverage uh, as many different sources of revenue uh, as possible, or so, I, I guess funding as possible to actually produce a season of our very quirky, fun, right. coming distraction show as a way to keep ourselves busy, generate some revenue for the business, and, and frankly, add something to, um, uh, add something to the uh, available uh, content um, and help people, help save people from Netflix fatigue, um, you know, and, yeah. and rewatching, uh, uh, rewatching, uh, uh, you know, seasons of, of uh, Kim's Convenience, which is a great show. But, uh, you know, you can only watch, you can only watch it so many times before you want something to do. No, so Jeff, that's, that's, it's kind of where we are right now. And, and Jeff, that coming distractions that you mentioned that you pr- produced back in 2017, uh, yeah. that, that's available for people to see. And, and you know, it, it honestly... You know, I may have, I may be a little bit biased, but I, I don't think so. I, I just thought it was extremely well done. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you and get you out here so pe- we can get people to see that. They, I think, go and watch it, can't they, somewhere? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, it's on YouTube. We, we decided to go a different route than most producers with their pilots. We actually decided just to put it out there and give yep. people's feedback. So you can find it on YouTube. Just search for Coming Distractions. Um, and it was also, we also have a web page for it. It's comingdistractions.ca. Okay. Um, and the pilot's there. And, uh, yeah, I, I encourage everybody to go and watch it and let us know what you think of it because it's, uh, I'm super proud of it. And, um, I mean, everybody who's listening, listening, to, listen to my voice very carefully. And then I challenge everybody to actually find my cameo in the, uh, in the, <laughs> in the show. Cause I, I, I always like Alfred Hitchcock. I always, I always pop up in the show somewhere. This one's a little more buried. So, uh, and Zuzu's, uh, that, is that another reference back to uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah, Zuzu yeah. is the uh, character, little girl right. at the end. Uh, yeah. Every time a bell rings, an angel that's right. makes a swing. That's so, right. Yeah. Uh, and that's our, we branded our pizza and our candy covered popcorn. It's, it's a Wonderful Life has always been my favorite movie. Mm. Again, this is, this is yep. an influence of my, uh, uh, my dearly departed uh, uh, mother. Mm. Um, uh, her influence on my movie taste, but it's, you know, it, it was a movie I used as a catalyst to uh, uh, save our theater back in 2013. So it's, it has, uh, it has significant meaning to us. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of like a good luck charm. And, and frankly, the, the word Zeus is just cool to say. Right. Yes. It's just, no, Jeff, listen, for, for because the world has changed and everything is online now, um, even though you, you are a local cinema, um, what what are things that people can do outside of your area, uh, outside of the area of Oakville online, uh, participate in with the theater or support you some way? I know you've got the you've got the GoFundMe and that's on your yeah. website at film.ca. Yeah. Yes. So we have GoFundMe, obviously. Distantly.ca is the other one. Uh, those are basically just uh, the kind of sites where you just uh, make a contribution and we say thank you very much. Mm. Um, there is, of course, the Buy a Seat campaign, uh, which you can find on our website as well, uh, where you get a plaque to go on a seat. But that's more of a that's probably one more local one. Mm. The other one that that um, you know kind of has benefits for everybody is the is our our Indiegogo campaign for coming distractions. Mm. Um, um, there's a link right. to it on our main page as well. You can also search it at Indiegogo. Um, and that's to help raise part of the budget uh, to produce the series. 
Um, and, um, uh, you know, those that are in the film industry are probably scratching their head and saying, how is he planning on raising money to produce a show and help, you know, help his business usually, you know, usually, uh, you know, uh, making TV and movie is a, is a uh, money hole. And mm. that is true. But uh, the, what we've done is we've built, because the film is entirely shot at film.ca with equipment that we own yes with staff that we you know um are trying to find ways to put back to work and such it actually helps pay the bills with those funds because we don't have location costs because we 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 don't have to go rent of a lot of equipment so we we're basically using those funds to essentially help us keep our business going produce some hilarious content and yep. give people an alternative. And then with the Indiegogo campaign, there's obviously, there's lots of cool perks that you can participate in as well, that everything from a copy of the, the script right on to right up to becoming an executive director, uh, or uh, there's a fun one in there. It has people, a couple people inquire about it. We've got a, for a certain price, I don't remember which level it is. You have to check the site, but for a certain level, if you're an aspiring filmmaker, we'll actually give you the filmmaking experience where you can be on set and learn uh, various aspects of you know what goes on behind uh, the scenes and how and actually put people to work uh, helping us produce the show. It's it's a real it's a real show too. This isn't something done with my iPhone and uh, a couple guys holding up uh, flashlights. Um, <laughs> this is this is a professional show. We use you know our act our actors are all union actors from Actra, incredibly talented Canadian actors who people will watch and say, hey, I recognize that person. Right. Um, and uh, our crew are all incredibly talented. A lot of them from right from town, from Sheridan's Film School, mm-hmm. which I'm very proud of. Um, and, uh, you know, we use top-notch equipment. And we want, we, we were basically trying to produce something and will produce something that can rival pretty much anything else you can find on broadcast. Does broadcast actually exist anymore? <laughs> we call it linear. Right. Anything that exists on linear or non-linear television. <laughs> Thank you, David, for uh, for this opportunity to tell our story. I think I've scratched the surface. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, please visit us on uh, on our website or for that matter, in our social media as well, which we're very active in mm. Facebook, Twitter, um, on YouTube, etc. I think we're going to be back and we're going to be stronger than ever. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel strongly, more strongly than I ever have before closing with my standard sign off on all my videos. And that's, uh, we'll be seeing you very soon at the movies. <laughs> right. Thanks Jeff. And thanks again for joining us and, and all the best in the future. Thank you so much. David. All right. Take care. That's Jeff Knoll. He is an entrepreneur in the Oakville area, uh, one of the owners of Film.ca. You can check them out online. And uh, he's also uh, Oakville's Ward 5 Regional and Town Councillor, which he's been in that position for since 2000. Thank you for listening to Element FM each and every day. I'm your host, David Moses, and it's been a pleasure to bring this segment to you as we do each and every day. And we'll see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.